Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Isaiah 11. I was reading this week about the book of Isaiah. And somebody said that the book of Isaiah is like in the Old Testament what Romans is to the New Testament. In other words, the book of Isaiah is so full of good, Christ-centered, Christ-saturated theology, just like we read in a different form, of course, prophetic form in the Old Testament there in Isaiah, but just like we read in the book of of Romans. Well, today we are officially 11 days to Christmas morning. But I bet there ain't anybody in here that's counting down, right? <laughs> no, I bet there are some of you that could tell me the, 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 the hour and the minute and the seconds until we get down to Christmas morning. By now, your homes are probably all decorated up, full Christmas splendor. And if you're like most folks, the centerpiece of your home Christmas decoration is your Christmas tree, or, or I probably should say Christmas trees, right? How many of y'all have more than one Christmas tree? <laughs> All right, yeah. Like, I think we're up to like five now at my house. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, and for most folks, they've been up for several weeks. How many of you guys put up your Christmas tree before Thanksgiving? All right, ain't, ain't no shame in it. Somebody, <laughs> you're waiting for all the cultural humbugs. Don't do it. Thanksgiving first, right? You're afraid to raise your hand there. All right? There are no doubt some of you that put it up the day after Halloween. And praise God. Praise God for you. We love Christmas trees. And guys, we have culturally since the Germans sort of solidified the tradition in the 15th or the 16th century. The Lutherans, man, they especially love Christmas trees. And it was Martin Luther himself who was credited with being the first person to add lights to his tree. Of course, in those days it wasn't electric lights. It was candles that he would put on his tree. But we, we love Christmas trees, and rightly so. I mean, the green tree in the middle of winter, it's just a beautiful reminder that winter will not win, that death will not be victorious, that life will soon spring forth again. And then we add the, to those evergreens all those dazzling lights of all different colors, and then ornaments of all shapes and sizes and symbolism, and many of them tokens of important family moments. For you mamas who have children who have now grown up, you likely have a lot of things on your Christmas tree that your children made when they were little. And, 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 and maybe you have ornaments from places that your family vacationed to and things like that. You just have awesome stories connected and a lot of memories connected to your tree. And there is nothing better than to sit back in a dimly lit room on an evening with a cup of hot cocoa in your hands and watch your tree twinkle and think back on the memories that are represented on it. This year... For my family, our, our primary Christmas tree, although we really have a, a nice artificial tree, my family decided to go with a real tree and to go like old country Christmas. Uh, we didn't go to a tree farm or we didn't go to, uh, or, or maybe to, to a place like Lowe's to get this, this fir tree or maybe a pine tree. We went out to my dad's farm and found this perfect nine foot cedar tree that fits just right in our living room. You see, that's what folks did around here. Uh, many, many years ago, right? That's what they used to do. Back in the day, they used cedar trees because cedar trees are so abundant here in our area. And we found our tree growing right by my dad's pond. 
We grabbed the chainsaw. We started it up. We cut that baby down, threw it in the back of the truck, left the stump of the tree standing right there by that pond in the field, and then took our tree home, set it up, and decorated it like crazy. But when we turn here to Isaiah 11, I I began to realize something. I realized that I might have gotten it wrong there in the field that Saturday after Thanksgiving when we cut that tree down. Perhaps when I cut down the tree, I should have dug up the stump and took the stump home with me instead and left the tree in the field. You'll see what I'm talking about here in just a moment. But could you imagine a Christmas stump instead of a Christmas tree? <laughs> At least you wouldn't get all the needles all over your floor, right? But you see, the very imagery that God gives us here in Isaiah 11 is not a picture of this big, towering, evergreen tree, but rather a tree that has been chopped down. Nothing but the stump is left. And it looks like that tree's dead. It's done for. But then over time, a tender shoot begins to grow up from the stump. It remained alive. The tree is alive. It's well and will one day be a fully functioning tree that will even bear fruit. Guys, that's the picture of the Christmas tree or more exact, the Christmas stump that we get here in Isaiah 11. Oh, Christmas stump. Oh, Christmas stump. How I long to see Your branches. (laughs) This Christmas stump that would one day be a Christmas tree points you and me to our Christmas King, Jesus Christ. By the way, here in our text, Isaiah 11 is where the tradition of the Jesse tree comes from. And let me just say, if you're interested in Jesse tree resources or materials, Pastor Will and his wife Bev, they've created some just really solid biblical beautiful resources to help your family prepare for Christmas through a Jesse tree. And so they would be glad to tell you more about it. Maybe that's something that your family's not really familiar with, but it's basically a way to do Advent at home with your family. My family's been using one of their resources. We're using it this year, and we have since 2017. I just want to commend that to you. But let's dive into our text here and take a look at it together. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 12. The Word of God says this to us. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be his belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, 
Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover over the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to cover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Behold your Christmas king. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word and there's so much here, God. Help us to digest it today. Help us to understand it. But God, your word is not meant to simply be understood. God, it is meant to be exalted and to be rejoiced in God. So help us to do that today, God. We love you. Thank you for your word. I pray your Holy Spirit would help us to understand it, live it, and enjoy it. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So grab your seats there. Here's today's takeaway. Here's what this text is calling you and me to do, and it's this. Surrender to and rejoice in... King Jesus, whose arriving kingdom is characterized by four things we're going to look at here. So we're going to surrender to and rejoice in King Jesus, whose arriving kingdom is characterized by the four things that we see here in our Isaiah text. So first, King Jesus' kingdom is characterized first by hope for the downhearted. Hope for the downhearted. You see, this prophecy, just like the other prophecies that we've looked at here in Isaiah, They come at a very tough time in the life of Judah. I mean, God has decreed severe discipline upon them, and the nation of Assyria is going to be his rod of discipline. If you'll remember, back earlier in Isaiah, Israel and a nation called Syria had joined together to attack Judah. And Judah, to get reinforcements, decided to link arms in a coalition with Assyria, okay? And God says, don't do it. Don't trust in Assyria. But the king Ahaz, the king of Judah, trusted in in Assyria anyway. And God says, all right, then I'm going to discipline you for that. And over and over again in Isaiah 10, before we get to Isaiah 11 here, God gives us visions of mighty forests being cut down and laid waste. And he switches back and forth between talking about Assyria and talking about Israel and Judah. You see, he, he's going to use Assyria to discipline Israel and Judah. But because of their arrogance, because of Assyria's arrogance, he will then discipline Assyria. Look at Isaiah 10, 18 and 19 to just get a picture of what God's talking about here. Isaiah 10, 18 and 19, it says, The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land the Lord will destroy both body and soul. And it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. So instead of forests, trees growing and green, just picture stumps, just a landscape of stumps. And then we read in Isaiah 10, verses 33 and 34. So just skip down a little bit. 
Isaiah 10, 33 and 34. Behold, the Lord of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. And so here, the picture that God's painting here is just absolute destruction and despair. People's hearts would sink. Their lives would be miserable, man. The discipline would be fierce. Nothing but stumps of lives everywhere. But among the stumps, so to speak, is a special stump. And you couldn't tell it by just looking at the stump. Right? These stumps, again, represent families and kingdoms and nations. There's nothing special when you see the stump itself, the stump of Jesse. It looks like all the other stumps. It's been cut down, right? It's been severely disciplined. But what makes that stump special is that God made a covenant with that stump. You see, Jesse in Bible history is the father of that little shepherd boy named David who would later slay Goliath and would one day be king of Israel. And it's with David that God made a covenant. He made a a promise to David about his lineage and his monarchy. We read that covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We've talked about this a lot in the book of Isaiah, but we've not actually read the text from 2 Samuel 7. So we want to read that. 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16. See what the word of God says, the promise that God made to David and to his lineage It says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me as a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Guys, that's the promise that God made to David and to the people of Israel and to all of David's offspring. And we Come to the book of Isaiah here, it looks like that promise is done with. King Ahaz, who's the king during this time that Isaiah is prophesying, it looks like he's going to be the last in the, in, in, the, in the lineage of King David because God's about to severely discipline Israel and Judah. But guys, praise God for this. God is not a God who reneges on his promises, right? Although the tree of Jesse will be cut down, the stump will live. And will one day bear fruit. Look at verse 1, Isaiah 11, 1 in our text. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, this isn't the first time that we've seen this promise. It's the first time we've seen the promise connected to Jesse, but it's not the first time that we've seen this promise of a stump. In fact, we saw it back just a few messages ago in Isaiah 6. When Isaiah is first called to be a prophet and God says, who will go before me? And Isaiah says, I'll go. I'll do it, right? You ever do that? Just volunteer for God? And then God says, all right, great. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go tell Judah that they're done for, that I'm going to discipline them. He's like, what? 
We read in Isaiah 6, 11 through 13. Then I said, this is Isaiah talking back to God, how long, Lord? And he said, here's what God said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak. Listen to this. Whose stump remains when it's failed. And then he says this. The holy seed is its stump. That's talking about Jesus. Beloved, that means that the downhearted, the distressed, the discouraged have hope. God has not forsaken them. The stump of Jesse will one day bring forth King Jesus. And they're looking forward to that here in the book of Isaiah. And we, of course, are looking back on that. You see, for us, the shoot has already, it's already sprouted, right? It's already came forth. The branch has already bore fruit. We have beheld it in the pages of Scripture in the New Testament. You see, in Jesus Christ, our hope has been born. He lived. He was crucified. He rose again from the dead and lives even now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty in heaven, ruling and reigning over his church, gaining ground, growing the kingdom, and he's just waiting. He's just waiting for the Father to give the signal, the word, go get him. Go, set it up, finish it out for him to come back, to return, to set up his kingdom here on earth. King Jesus lives, and King Jesus is coming back. Therefore, you and I have hope. Guys, even in our darkest moments, we have hope. Some of you right now feel like Judah in this passage. You feel like you have been cut down to the ground. You feel like you've been chopped, that your beauty and your joy and your vitality have been removed. But beloved, with the downhearted, God gives us hope. With God, that there's restoration, there's redemption, there's reclamation. And the life which feels cut down, just hold on. Just hold on. Jesus is coming Again, making all things new. He's come once and he's coming again. And all of those promises that are given to Jesus are ours in Jesus. Such is the kingdom of King Jesus. But with King Jesus, secondly, we see here, we don't just get hope. Secondly, King Jesus' kingdom is characterized by spirit-filled, righteous leadership. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Could you imagine living under? You and I don't even imagine. We can't even imagine really what it would be like to live under spirit-filled, righteous leadership. Y'all listen, man. What we got in Washington, D.C., man, it is a mess. I ain't got to tell you that. You know that, right? The political games that are being played are just unreal. They're, they're really dangerous. And the truth of the matter is that you and I, we don't even know half of what's really going on when it comes to that. When we hear people describe our federal government, our leaders of our nation, we hear words like swamp and gridlock. In other words, our federal government is dirty and goes nowhere often. <laughs> A few years back, 
during the Obama administration, USA Today, in a, in a Gallup poll, they asked respondents what they would say if someone asked you to describe the federal government in one word or phrase. And 70% of the respondents used negative terms. The most used terms were words like this, descriptors like this, too big, corrupt, confused, incompetent, terrible, inefficient, complicated, crooked. And I bet if we were to take that poll again today in 2019, we would get a very similar response, if not worse, under the Trump administration. We really don't know what it's like to have righteous leaders and a righteous government, but we long for that, don't we? We long for that, and by God's grace, we will one day have that in King Jesus. And we get this rather detailed description of the sort of leader King Jesus is and will be. Look at verses 2 through 5 in our text. Isaiah 11, 2 through 5 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. You see, guys, in King Jesus, we have a leader, a government leader who's completely God-filled and God-led. The Spirit of the Lord, it says here, rests on him. And this is going to impact his reign in three ways, our text tells us. First, the Spirit's influences are going to impact his mental capacities. His mental capacities. He'll be full of wisdom and understanding. He'll know the right thing to do and be strong in his convictions. He'll be perfect in his knowledge. And most importantly, he will fear the Lord. He will fear the Lord. Isn't that the kind of leader that you long for? So different from most politicians and world leaders today. Secondly, the Spirit's influence will not just impact his mental capacities, but it'll also impact the dispensing of his government. You see, he won't judge a book by its cover. Or jump to conclusions. He will judge, it says here, with righteousness. And decide with equity. Righteousness and faithfulness will be around him like a belt. And third, the Spirit's influence will impact his ability to protect his people. It says here that he will rid the world of the wicked. Guys, that's King Jesus. He's already doing these things through his church in some ways. But we're imperfect vessels, aren't we? But when he returns, guys, he will fully lead with spirit-filled, righteous leadership. Third, third, we see King Jesus' kingdom. It's characterized by number three, the curse of sin erased. Now, guys, this is perhaps the most intriguing, most fascinating part of the text. The other stuff's good, but this one is so different from what you and I experience that it kind of just jumps off the pages to us. Look at 6 through 9. It says, The wolf shall dwell with a lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with a young goat, and the calf and the lion. I mean, could you just imagine seeing this? The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. 
Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Then shall, they shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I mean, isn't that amazing to think about? I mean, listen, we've seen enough nature shows to know this ain't how it works. Right? This is not how the animal kingdom works. Wolves and lambs, they don't hang out together. For very long, anyway. <laughs> Leopards and goats, they're not buddies. Calves and lions don't snuggle together. Bears had rather eat plants, or had rather not eat plants. They'd rather eat you. <laughs> and babies should never play by snake holes, especially the hole of a cobra or the hole of an adder. They'll surely get bitten and die. What we see here in Isaiah is not how nature works. But what you and I need to realize, what you and I observe in nature, is not just nature. Keep in mind our theological categories. It's not just nature we're observing. It is fallen nature that we're observing. It is nature under the curse of sin. It's under the curse of sin. You see, in the Garden of Eden, there were no predators and prey. In the Garden of Eden, uh, before the fall of Adam, everybody was a vegetarian. But when sin entered into the world, God cursed this world. And at that point, sharp tooth and sharp fang and sharp claw took on new functions. They became instruments of death. But in Jesus' coming kingdom, guys... Isaiah says that curse is going to be removed. That fallen nature will become redeemed nature in the world as we know it will be transformed. We sing, it about, we sing about this every Christmas when we sing that classic carol, Joy to the World. Do you know the verse that says, No more let sins and sorrows grow. If you know that, would you sing that with me this morning? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. You know what that means, church? That means that through Jesus, the curse of sin is erased. The world as we know will be transformed. And that's coming one day when he returns. The outward effects of the curse of sin will be erased. But guess what? That's not here yet. The outward effects of sin and the eraser of that, the erasure of that is not here yet. But right now, you know what God is offering? God is offering to erase the inward consequences of the curse of sin in your life and in my life. And some of us here, uh, maybe most of us here, we have turned and we've trusted Christ and he has redeemed us. He saved us. He brought us from death to life. He's made us new creatures and broken the back of sin that we can be free 
in Christ. But there are some of you here this morning, you've never experienced that. You've never turned and trusted Christ yet. But let me say this, the curse on your soul can be lifted through Jesus Christ if you will turn from sin, hate your sin, and trust in Jesus and be saved. Then and only then can the inward effects of the curse of sin be erased in your life. And we want that. Even if all around us the outward is not yet fully done, God in his grace has given you the opportunity to experience this inwardly. And finally this morning we see King Jesus' kingdom. Number four is characterized by salvation for people worldwide. Worldwide. Look at verse 10 and 11 and 12. Verse 10, 11 and 12 in our text. Isaiah 11, 10 through 12. It says, In that day the root of Jesse... He shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, as you and I read that, you and I, we might be tempted to think that he's just talking about a Jewish reality. Beloved, we don't read the Old Testament in light of the Old Testament alone. We read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And guess what the New Testament tells us? Beloved, the New Testament tells us that every person who is connected to Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, is part of Israel, right? Through Jesus Christ, you and I are grafted in to Israel. And all the covenant promises given to Israel are ours through Jesus Christ. In fact, this is sort of mind-blowing, but it says this in Romans chapter 2. It says, basically, if you're a Gentile connected to Christ, you are more of a true Jew. If you are a Gentile connected to Christ, you are more of a true Jew than a naturally born Jewish person who is not connected to Jesus. Look at what it says, Romans 2, 28 and 29. It says this, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, His praise is not from man, but from God. So I say to you this morning, as we hear God and Isaiah saying this root of Jesse is going to stand as a signal calling people to himself from every direction of the planet, don't just hear a Jewish reality. He's not going to just save the people who are physically descended from Israel. He's going to save people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. In fact, we hear this promise in Romans 15, 8 through 13. Listen to this promise where it picks up this root of Jesse language. Romans 15, 8 through 13 says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order, listen to this, that the Gentiles might glory or might glorify God for his mercy. As it's written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name 
And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, verse 12, as Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Guys, you know what that means? That means that God has been very good to us. And he has offered a way for everyone on planet earth to be saved. And just to sort of show you, just to kind of go from Isaiah to the end of scripture. God's been very gracious to us and he's shown us what that's going to look like. I would be remiss if I didn't show you this this morning because I think it's so important. He tells us, he shows us what it's going to look like. Revelation chapter 7 verses 1 through 4. John writes this, John the Revelator, he says, after I saw, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then we're given a very Jewish list here, listing out every 12, all 12 tribes of the tribes of Israel. But I want you to notice verse 4. Notice what it says there. It says, verse 4 there, that, that John merely heard this number in this description. And I heard the number of the sealed. But after this, John actually looks. He turns and looks. And what he heard is very different from what he sees. He turns and he sees this in Revelation 7, verse 9 through 10. After this, I looked. And he's looking to see this 144,000 multitude. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Guys, this is the fruit of the stump of Jesse. Amen? Oh, man. This seemingly barren stump, y'all will shoot forth a branch full of life. He's already shot it forth in Jesus Christ. And through that branch, salvation for people from every tribe, worldwide, every people, every tongue, every nation, a multitude too numerous to count. King Jesus will be king over that worldwide nation. Guys, want to be awesome? And the thing is, he's assembling this multitude right now as we speak. We're part of that multitude if you're in Jesus Christ. This, beloved, is what the kingdom of God will be like. So in light of all that, 
what we've seen here in Isaiah 11, what should you and I do? There's only two things to do. First is to surrender to King Jesus. If you've not yet repented and trusted in Jesus, today's the day the Lord has made. Today is the day of salvation. Rejoice and be glad in that salvation. Turn from sin and trust in Christ and be saved. But if you're already in Jesus, the only thing that you and I can do, first and foremost, of course, there's more we could do, but today we're called here in this passage to rejoice in King Jesus, whose arriving kingdom is characterized by all of these astounding realities. If you are not yet in Christ, I beg you today to turn to Christ. And for those of us who are already in Christ Jesus, we live in joy, but we also live in tension, don't we? We also live in tension. We live in the middle of already, but not yet. Because do you understand the kingdom of God when Jesus came the first time? Jesus came to the manger, to the cross, to the resurrection. When he came the first time, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. How many times in the New Testament did Jesus say, the kingdom is here? And it is here. But it's not yet fully here. We're longing for not the inauguration, that's already happened, but for the consummation of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus comes back, listen, this Christmas and every Christmas, we're longing for that second coming, even as this Christmas we are celebrating the first coming of Jesus. When he comes again, the realities, the fullness of the realities of Isaiah 11 will be manifested for all who believe on Jesus. And so my heart cries out this one simple prayer to close today. May King Jesus come quickly. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. 
When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.